The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line, we have Professor Susan Harris-Rimmer, who is an international relations and public policy expert. Last spoke to her about making sure that the Olympics, which was to be held in Brisbane, was human rights compliant. But today we're talking about the upcoming summit in Glasgow, and the professor says that the Prime Minister needs to attend. Professor, thanks for being on the program once again. Oh, thank you. It's lovely to be here. Well, there's a lot of debate about who should attend and whether it might be the Prime Minister or someone very high up, very senior in the Australian political landscape. I guess the question is, is it more important about who actually goes as opposed to what the country says it will do in the uh, international battle to reduce emissions? Well, both are important. So in diplomatic terms, at a leaders level meeting, there will be certain meetings that are only for leaders. So, uh, and only prime ministers, you know, um, a junior minister doesn't get to go and hang out with Joe Biden at a special leaders level uh, meeting. So it does, it does matter who you send um, and it also matters who says it. So if, if oh, as of course, the rest of the world knows we're scheduled to have an election. And so if we send a sort of a, a minister that they think might not represent what the government would do if re-elected, then that's also not ideal. So really, you want a prime minister uh, at, a, at a, a meeting where you've got the Chinese president, the US president, presidents of the EU, you know what I mean? It's a leaders level meeting and it reflects the importance um, of that particular issue to that particular country. So as far as I can tell, every other country is sending their leader. So in diplomatic terms, it has um, a, a message that is a separate to the commitment that we bring. But I think in our case, um, the commitment will also be uh, um, perceived um, not to be binding if we don't send our leader. I had no idea that they had that sort of structure. So when you're over at one of these summits, they say, that's it. If you're not a prime minister or the head of the country, too bad you're out. Uh, even if you are a powerful country and someone that they really want to talk to about emissions, I'll just say, well, because you're not the leader, you're just representing them. Uh, you can't come to this meeting. That's fascinating. They'll be able to go. They just won't be in the rooms, the particular rooms where the top leaders are. So they'll be able to go to the plenary sessions and... All the rest of it, we'll be able to give our speech. As far as I know, though, Scott Morrison wasn't given a speaking spot either, which I think is partly because of our climate record. Um, so, you know, even if we sent our leaders, doesn't mean you get a coveted speaking slot at plenary. So who you send, their record um, and their relative importance in the world community all matters to these types of events. But COP26, I think, is considered particularly important because it follows on the heels of the IPCC report, which was so grim, which was so dire. So most world leaders are very keen to display their climate credentials. Mm. Um, how do you think this one will go? Because we all remember previous international summits, uh, even sort of Copenhagen and the hope that was built up to there and it didn't quite live up to the promises, the expectations. Uh, Paris is one that I remember. Um, not sure if there's been many in between Paris and this one, but how do you think this will compare? I think that most of the largest countries have now made um, 
pledges around being carbon free by 2050 and have got various ambitious targets in between there. So I think that is a massive step forward. Where I think it's going to be very difficult will be on issues around um, coal, the phasing out of coal, which is clearly a very difficult issue for us, but it will be difficult for other countries as well. Mm. And the and the other one, the major one, is, is this loss and damage issue. So in other words, who should pay for countries like the Pacific Islands um, who are being so affected by climate change? Which country should pay for that? Um, so the, the question is, who is responsible out of the developing countries? Um and, uh, and out of the developed countries, I should say, and then who in the developing countries should be receiving um, that support? And that is a really complicated question. And at the moment, you're seeing an absolute um, explosion in climate litigation around the world against government and private companies that are really about this issue of accountability for climate change. Because, you know, climate, the climate crisis has caused in some ways by, by everyone in the community. But if you actually look at who is accountable for most of the emissions, it's a relatively small amount of companies and countries that are, you know, responsible for, you know, 80, 90% of emissions. So I think you're going to see a sort of a situation a bit like tobacco control or asbestos, you know, where you're starting to really hone in on who is actually accountable for particular issues. Do they look at that on a per capita basis or the country's whole emissions? Because clearly per capita, our emissions are relatively high, but uh, as a global share of emissions, we don't compare to those bigger emitters that you alluded to. No, that's right. But we are authorising coal mines um, and other countries aren't. You know, So it'll be about causation. Um, it'll be about what what is the reasonable nexus between our actions in, in terms of coal exports, for example, and damage. So I think we have to be quite careful because we're entering into a new phase of climate accountability, I would say. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on the long-term targets against the short-term targets. So some would say that 2050 and aiming for net zero is a long-term target and it's very unlikely that the people that are in the parliament now are going to still be there in 2050. Maybe a couple of the first-term MPs might still be there in 2050. But if we just have a 2050 target, how do you hold the government to account? I think that's right. I think we have to have interim targets and a lot of countries are. So the US has got quite a lot of interim targets, 2030, you know, and so forth. Um, I think it's the credibility of the plan that that governments will be judged on. So the current government might not be able to be held accountable for what happens in 2050, but the credibility of the plan can be. And you saw that in the government of the Netherlands um, case recently, Uganda, it, it, you, not like Uganda, U-R-G-E-N-D-A, a massive case, um, where it was really the, the the kind of the rigor and the legitimacy of the government of the Netherlands plans to manage bushfires that was under uh, scrutiny and they didn't have a credible plan. That's what the court found. So you can judge the credibility of a plan now that is designed to reach a certain outcome in the future. So just last of all, with this summit, for keen observers like you and the people listening to this program, 
What should we be looking for and what should we be expecting to come out of this summit? Will we have a sort of accord? Will we have a situation where the major emitters agree to go net zero by 2050? Um, what are you hoping for? What are you expecting to see? And I suppose even what is the benchmark for success of this thing? Well, the pledge itself, so the, the 2050 pledge, um, because what, what countries are beholden to in the Paris Agreement is to have ambitious plans to cut emissions. So the kind of the strength of the pledge, um, the credible plan behind it for each country will be judged. The UN is already judging the veracity of those claims in terms of what countries are actually doing. There'll be a lot of scrutiny, I think, of each country's climate record. And then I think there will be a great pressure to phase out particular types of coal, not all coal, but some particular types of coal. Um, I think we'll see a uh, discussion of um, carbon trade, uh, so so the effect of decarbonisation on trade agreements. I think we'll we'll expect to see something on that, um, led by the EU. And I also think we will see the developing world push back on the developed world to say we are the least responsible for this damage and we are the ones experiencing the damage. Um, so I think you can expect to see a strong statement from the least developed countries at that forum. Well, we'll be watching with much interest. Thank you very much for being on the program once again. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you, Professor Susan Harris-Rimmer with us there, who is an expert in international relations and public policy and takes a keen interest on these international summits, as you would expect. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.